Welcome back to the Mackinac on Michigan show brought to you by the Mackinac Center's Frank Beckman Center for Journalism here on WJR. I'm Kelly Cobb. I'm Jarrett Skorup. And we're talking next with David Guntner with the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. He is their head of all things government. He goes out and meets with the lawmakers. He's got a great pulse on what's happening in Lansing, um, pitching all the great ideas that Mackinac has to the people uh, who in power in the legislature. Uh, and in a new year, David Guntner, welcome to the show. Um, what do you expect is going to happen? I think everybody is still trying to figure that out. <laughs> what you have is a new legislature uh, and a new political environment in Lansing that the Democratic Party not only retained all the statewide offices and the majorities there, but they also won one-seat majorities in both the Senate and the State House. Mm-hmm. The Senate was a scenario that they thought was possible. The House was one that they didn't. And I think everyone was caught surprised by that. Uh, what you have now is the first time that the Democrats have had all of the levers of state government since 1984. Uh, I'll let... Uh, you two guys decide how you date yourself. I was in seventh grade the last time that mm-hmm. uh, the Democrats had all the all the levers of power in Michigan. So what's going to be a challenge for them is they've got an almost 40-year wish list of things that they've wanted to accomplish on the policy agenda, but that they have a very, very, very narrow mandate to move on any of them. And you've also got a number of districts where they won with less than 50 percent of the vote, or less than 55 percent of the vote, which is the generally accepted measure for a district that can change hands in the next election. And at least two of them where their candidate won with less than 50 percent of the vote because of third party candidates. So the challenge is going to be how you keep everyone happy, how you produce the wins and deliver the results that the people who voted you wanted without sacrificing uh, those majorities starting in two years. And, David, it's, so, it's worth noting as you go through that. In the Senate, they have a couple extra seats. In the House, they only have one extra seat. It's got to, everything's got to get through the House, too. So there's really only a one-seat majority. And when a House vote is tied, that's a loss. They have to, right? Yeah. They have to vote in block. Yeah, and, and I, I would say, but what's interesting also, uh, and the Senate is also a one-vote majority. They don't have the extra margin. And what's important right. to know about the Senate is that the constitutional requirement is 20 votes that if you have any member of the Democratic caucus vote no on something or that they're absent that day, that you wind up having a situation where if it's 19 to 19, a Republican Mm -hmm. can disappear from the floor or vote uh, present. And that doesn't create the tie that allows the lieutenant governor to break the tie. Wow. And another thing that will be interesting and could come up if you have a uh, a very leftward-leaning uh, Democratic agenda is that if you 
the Democrat members in the House, particularly the ones from Southeast Michigan, have a penchant for being absent. Some of them, a lot of the time, if you go on to michiganvotes.org and look up the roll call reports as far as which members had the most missed votes during the previous two years, mm-hmm. of the 16 most missed votes among members, 14 of them are Democrats. Eight of them are returning. The two Republicans who show up in the midst of that 16, one of them had a PPO at the time, keeping him off the floor most of last Mm -hmm. year, and the other, unfortunately, passed away from stomach cancer. Mm -hmm. So you can have situations where if you have members who aren't uh, showing up or are are disenchanted with the caucus or the job, Mm -hmm. uh, there are two Democrats who are looking at running for mayors of their communities in the May elections this year. If those seats go vacant, all of a sudden your pathway to getting things done uh, becomes very narrow to non-existent. And if relations between the caucuses go bad, uh, that could create some very interesting parliamentary maneuvering and disruptions in the overall legislative process. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and the read on this is I, I think Governor Whitmer signed 900 bills or something like that last session on um, the last term. Um, so the nearly all of them, I, I, actually, I guess all of them were bipartisan. Um, so I think we can expect probably most items are going to be bipartisan. Others will maybe not be. But what do you think, um, what are the big issues you think they're going to be tackling early in the term based on, on what you're hearing? As far as the early bills, I think two of the first ones that are going to come out are the addition of the LGBTQ uh, protections into the Elliot Larson uh, Non-Discrimination Act. Uh, the Democrats have made clear they're going to repeal the 1931 abortion law that's already been found unconstitutional. Uh, Those will come up very early in the session, potentially first things, and I would expect that one of those uh, will be either SB1 or House Bill 4001, which are the first bills of the session. Uh, Beyond that, you know that there's going to be a lot of stuff undoing the accountability reforms in education that Republicans have done particularly over the last 10 to 12 years. Uh, There will be uh, a number of labor reforms. I expect that they will not start with right-to-work repeal, but that they will do something on prevailing wage early on. There's some supplemental spending that the governor wants to get done early. Uh, Also, some economic development stuff. More, pro, more money into the SOAR fund, at least initially. There's been conversations starting last year about creating a permanent revolving fund that can be used for uh, corporate welfare programs. Mm-hmm. I do not expect them to do right to work until later in the spring, uh, looking at the March-April window as a time when that could move. Also, if they don't do it then, I think it's I think they probably would wait until November because of the two mayor races, the ability to be able to get stuff through the House. November also takes recall elections out of the equation, and it also um, 
limits the time between when the bill passes and when it can be enacted, because there's no way that right-to-work repeal would get immediate effect. Any bill that they pass this year that doesn't have immediate effect won't be implemented until April of 2024. So if they move it early, then you have a lot of legal maneuvers. You have the option of a voter referendum to uh, nix it before it takes effect, things of that sort. David, what should the Republicans be focused on? They're, they're, they have to adjust somewhat. We just had Senator Eric Nesbitt, the minority leader, on. He's going to have to learn to adjust from being in the majority his his career to now being in the minority, um, which is strategically challenging, and, and, and you don't get to introduce what you want necessarily. But what can the Republicans focus on on a policy side that they might be able to get traction on in a bipartisan way where it comes from the Republican side instead of the Democratic side trying to pull them over? I think number one thing that they need to do is to hold their votes and their caucus unity. Their power is in their numbers, mm-hmm. and that if the Dems are going to move a, a left agenda, that they need to make the Democrats who are in the marginal districts pay the price for every one of those votes. On the policy side of things, there may be some possibilities around open records. There's been the long-running controversy over adding the governor and the legislature to the state's open records laws. That's not happened largely because of Senate opposition from members who aren't there. That's, I think, clearly an area where there's bipartisan interest. There may also be some bipartisan interest in going further than just opening up those two bodies to open records, but also fixing some of the ways that the process hasn't worked. And Steve DeLee uh, can come on the program. He's uh, uh, our our open records activities. He can talk to you about some of the shenanigans that we ran into trying to figure out how state decisions over COVID were being managed. Mm -hmm. There may be some stuff around criminal justice, although I think a lot of that is going to become tougher to find those spots where – Conservatives and progressives wind up landing on the same spot. But if you're talking about things such as uh, reentry programs and uh, ways to better ensure safe communities, I think there's opportunities around that. David, we're going to have to leave it there. David Gunther with the Mackinac Center. We appreciate you coming on the show, giving us a picture of what the coming legislative year is going to look like in Lansing. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. And we'll be back with more after a brief break here on the Mackinac Michigan Show on WJR.